Welcome to the Marketing Tips for Doctors podcast, where you'll discover the secrets to attracting more patients ready to schedule their first appointments to grow your practice without spending hours and hours away from your practice or home. Hear how to boost your online presence, develop a strong rapport with each one to increase patient compliance while adding value and growing revenue. Now, here's your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, America's leading medical strategist. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, and today we have with us Mark Silber. For 25 years, Mark and his team at Silber Consulting Group have successfully helped hundreds of doctors and their teams create thriving practices. Mark is also an author of three best-selling books, his most recent one being Create, Tools from Seriously Talented People to Unleash Your Creative Life. And if you saw the cover, you would know that he is a creative. He has helped many people lead more creative and profitable lives. Welcome to the show, Mark. Barbara, thank you. I'm really pleased to be here with you. Thank you. Tell us, how can a doctor add more creativity to their practice? You know, they're they're, uh, grinding away, grinding away, and I don't think that many of them see the creativity in what they're doing. So how do you bring creativity back to them? That is a really good question, and it's one that I'm asked pretty much every day. The, the creative process actually follows a what I call a cycle. It's a, it's a cycle of creativity. And I'll explain it, but before I do, you know, at some point, that doctor probably felt pretty excited about going into practice. You know, there was a point back, maybe it's many years ago, but there was that spark and that zest and that, you know, whether you're looking at it in terms of being a, in business for yourself as an entrepreneur, which is a really creative thing to do, or just the fact that you're now, you're out of school and you're practicing and you, you really love what you're doing and you want to help people. So there's that a fire back there somewhere. And so like any fire that maybe starts to burn down, what do you do? You add fuel to it and you add oxygen. And the oxygen and the fuel in terms of creativity actually has, has five different components. The first one is what we call visualization, which is having in your mind's eye what it is you intend to create. So, you know, if if we're uh, looking at being a chef and we're cooking a dinner, you, you kind of get the idea, okay, I want to build uh, this wonderful evening with my friends and I'm going to uh, you know, I'm going to create a, 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 a really the atmosphere, the wine, the meal, the dessert, everything. I wanted to sort of all work together. I I make pesto. I make really really good pesto. So it's one of the few dishes that I'm really that great at. But you I can know vi- your own spices. I do. Yeah. Uh, well, it depends. Some most of the time we try to, but. Uh, but, you know, it's become sort of famous in my family and with friends, and they just say they're coming over for dinner. Can we have pesto? You know, and it's it's got it's got a very strong garlic base to it. But I can visualize it, and I can visualize, okay, so how do – what's it going to look like on the plate? What is it going to look like in terms of the other components? You know, you add some protein to it and salad and then 
what dessert is going to go with pesto and what wine is going to mix, you know, match with it. And all that's all visualization. Same thing is true with a practice. You know, you come out of medical school, dental school, whatever, and you think, well, I, I want my own practice. What, what's my vision of this practice? What do I want it to be like? You know, is it just me or am I going to have associates with me? How large do I want it? Where do I want it situated? All these things are part of your own vision. And then you've got to know the tools of creativity. Now, obviously, clinical, any clinical activity has its own set of tools. Um, but we're really not really focused on that so much as the tools of, of building a business. Like how, how do you market it? How do you hire people? What's your business plan? What's your strategic plan? Those are all tools that we need to be able to implement whatever vision we had. Just like in a, cook, uh, a kitchen when you're cooking, you know, you have your implements that you're cooking with. Then you have to just work your craft. You have to go to work and, and make sure those tools are being used. Um, and, and that's something you can't shortcut. You know, if you're going to be creative, you got to do something creative. You gotta, if you're, we were talking a moment ago about photography, you have to go out and photograph. If you want to write, you have to write. If you want to build a practice, you have to build a practice. I call it working your craft. And then the, there's a stage of editing, which means you refine what you're doing and you learn from experience and you say, well, yeah, that that isn't really what I want. Maybe you hire an associate. It wasn't the kind of experience that you wanted. You kind of got burned out on a little bit. Next time I'm going to do it differently. So you're doing a little editing. Mm -hmm. And then the final stage of, of any creative process is getting your work out to the world. Because it's, it's really not satisfying to just do something for yourself. And obviously, a practice, you have to market it, whether it's word of mouth, which is always the best, obviously. Patient referrals are always the best. But there's other forms of marketing. And those things fit together in a circle or a spiral. So my answer to your question, that's kind of a long answer, is to basically hit each one of those five points, going back to the vision and that's what I do with clients. First thing I ask them is, what's your vision? Sometimes there's a long pause. I don't know. I had one, but I'm not sure what it is right now. Yeah. And, and, and we'll talk about it until they, you know, they kind of get reinvigorated. Like we, we add fuel to the fire and we add some oxygen and get it going again. That's true. Well, especially now that so many medical practices are uh, transitioning to digital health, yes. you know, their, their vision of what they originally thought of in terms of their practice are totally different. Has changed. Absolutely. Yep. And certainly COVID made things change as well. So I guess that's another tip is we all have to be ready to reinvent ourselves. Constantly. You know, Constantly. you have to evolve. If you don't evolve, you die. It's just the way it is, isn't it? So true. In order to prevent burnout, it really is important to have a work-life balance. And certainly adding creativity to that goes a long way to um, following your passions uh, alongside, you know, like your your work um, and, and your medical practice. How yeah. do you uh, recommend that they are able to achieve that balance? 
You know, Barbara, my dad was a good example that he lived almost 99. He retired, I think he was 71 or 72. He, he enjoyed his practice. Um, but what he did was he developed other interests before he retired. So he became a really good calligrapher. Beautiful, you know, for beautiful uh, calligraphy. And it's sort of uncharacteristic of an MD to have clear, beautiful handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> he would laugh about that. Um, and he and my mom were also masters uh, in the master swimming program. So they would swim three or four days a week. He had uh, all sorts of gardening things he did. So I think you just have to foster, find the area of interest and develop it and realize that life does need more than two dimensions. Well, that is so crucial. There are so many doctors that worked alongside of me. And I would say, like, what are your hobbies? What do you enjoy doing when you're not actually working? And they say, I have no hobbies. I have yeah. no interest. You know, I love medicine. I love my practice. And that's enough for me. But uh, clearly, you do need to foster additional passions in order to keep fresh. You do. And it makes us a well-rounded human being, you know, because otherwise it's it's we're too focused on one thing. There's there's no there's no joy, you know, if you're not doing it. His partner, I mean, this is a this is a cautionary tale. His partner, they both retired at the same time, same age. His partner passed away within six months. He had no real other interest. Well, that's and what they call the proverbial gold watch. Six months later, gone. Gone, right? You know, and it's it's because you need to have something to wake up to every morning to be passionate about. And if I understand when you're building a practice, sure, that could be the main thing. But I saw in him, I saw him transition. It was very smart how he did that. He transitioned from, you know, he was an old style photographer, uh, photographer doctor who basically was on call you know, seven days a week and, you know, made his rounds every day. But I saw him transition into these other activities and it was obviously very healthy for him. So one has to do that. You have to, you have to, you know, kick yourself and go, I, whatever, what is it? What am I going to be equally or, you know, passionate about? And that's your area of creativity. You should, you should work on it. Absolutely. So what are some practical tips for improving a practice? Well, you know, Barbara, I talk a lot about um, treatment acceptance, which is basically helping the patient understand why they need this care and helping them overcome the barriers to accepting it. And that comes down to good communication and really making sure I, 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 as a patient myself, I can see the difference between, you know, my physician or dentist or who, whoever the caregiver is spending enough time for me to really clearly understand what is, what's happening and why do I need that? Because it isn't just an investment of money. Sometimes in the case of a long course of treatment, it's a lifestyle change. I mean, in any case, almost always, right? I mean, well, otherwise, you're just going to get pushback and resistance. And, you know, you can write as many prescriptions as you want. And um, when you walk out later, you'll just find it in the circular bin. Yeah. And 
you're going to also find yourself back to the same problem over and over again, which is not really getting to the core change. Um, let me, I probably have to click on that again. No, I guess not. Okay. Sorry about that. I'll keep an eye on that. I don't know why it timed out. So we were talking about uh, treatment acceptance. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, how do you suggest that teamwork be improved? Teamwork is a form of creativity, and that comes from the leader. You know, the, it really boils down to good leadership. Not everybody understands what leadership means. And, and, you know, it's not a skill that's taught in medical school or dental school, is it? I mean, not that I'm aware of. Not at all. It's a, yeah, it's a management skill that's completely separate. And it, it comes down to getting, uh, having a, as a leader, having a plan. That's why strategic planning is actually so important. It's a fancy word, but it means just figuring out what is your strategy to accomplish your goals. And then letting your team in on it and training the team as a consultant, we're always training. We're, we're big believers in filling the gap between what you needed to know when you started in practice and what you can learn now. And that comes from training and that comes from training the leader of the group, the doctor and the team itself. And so they're better trained. Yeah, I mean, it's so true that team is a reflection of who you as a professional is, and they, they are your first line of defense. Completely. So no matter how much they like you, if they find that the people that they are meeting with from the front desk on are belligerent or impatient with them, they're just not coming back. It is, and you're absolutely right, Barbara, it's a representation of you as the owner, every person that you've got there, how they answer the phone, how they greet people, do they treat them with courtesy and stop what they're doing? You know, if, if you're walking into a business and there's two people talking to each other and they don't stop when you walk in and look at you, it's like an immediate turnoff. Wait a minute, you guys are not supposed to be, once a customer enters or a patient, that's it, I take priority and, if they don't know that, see, there's some lack of training there because they should know that the minute a person walks towards them, all other concerns are gone. Even if they're on the phone, there may be just a gesture of, you know, finishing this call, but there's a recognition and something that simple lets the person know that you care because caring is really the, the key to the whole thing. It's and willingness to help. Those things have to be instilled, and they're instilled by the owner. That's true. Yeah. What What I will add to that is uh, validity. People need to have validation or so acceptance true. of you know their observances, their complaints, and the issues that are meaningful to them. Very true. Absolutely, and you have to deal with them. You can't brush them off or. Uh, you know, try to try to pretend it didn't happen. You have to deal with it. I've always felt, and I teach this in my classes, uh, you know, it's not that you do everything perfect that makes a great company because you're going to make, there's going to be a mistake. Let's face it. 
But it's how you treat those mistakes, how you handle them that really establishes customer service. And it's interesting that studies have been done on this point, Barbara, where the the uh, companies that take ownership for the problems, help the customer through and resolve it, gain incredible respect. It's not that they're, you, you can't go about business thinking, well, I'll just never make a mistake and we're always going to be perfect. That doesn't happen. But how do you deal with it once it's come up? That's, that's what really establishes customer service. And again, that's set by the top. Well, now I would like to divert the conversation over to your book. Okay. As uh, you know, we're not talking about some 50 page little uh, digital book that was thrown together. This is a book that's over 200 pages crammed with useful advice. And one of the chapters that, uh, well, two of the chapters that really uh, get my attention the most, uh, which we're going to talk about individually, um, is, is as follows. You have a chapter that says lighten up, which we <laughs> all need to do, especially physicians. The yeah. role of humor for a creative. And, you know, so many professionals with their um focus on you know serious topics and serious problems do tend to lose their sense of humor yeah. i mean you know obviously there's a time for laughter and a time not to but between that and uh egos that are driving them uh they do need to lighten up so why don't you tell us a little bit about the content from that chapter you know, I, I included that. Uh, I interviewed a, he's an actor, but he's also a comedian. He also does amazing voice impressions. I, I'm absolutely blown away by what he can do. And I interviewed him very specifically because I wanted to enter this into the book because it is a form of creativity. So, you know, first of all, we can set a scale for ourselves. On one hand, being very serious and very dry, and on the other hand, being very light. Well, I kind of liken it to playing an instrument. You know, the piano has all these keys on it. You've got some very dark, heavy keys and some very light ones. You don't specialize on either side. You have to be <laughs> fluid, right? <laughs> if you true. just played, I mean, you know, there are, there are times for that, very heavy, you know, but why not have a keyboard in your own life that you can move around on? And it's inappropriate under very serious circumstances to be flippant and light. I mean, that doesn't sound right. But on the other hand, I think we all admire, you know, when we look at our heroes, uh, Clint Eastwood, um, Mel Gibson, you know, some of these very tough situations and they're being kind of flippant, you know, and, if we can actually do that, we can lighten up a little bit. It's interesting how it doesn't solve the problem by getting serious. It, it actually doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. And it's almost counterintuitive. It's like, if that's the default position, I'm going to get angry and serious and upset and stressed out. Wait a minute. Why not try a different approach here? What if it doesn't stress us out and we just have to face it, that it's a problem? 
Well, you know well, what they say, a smile goes a long way. And right. when someone who may be troubled is looking at somebody else with a bright smile, they just feel so much more comforted. It's so true. And it's true that it's also contagious. And we tend to, you know, we tend to do what we're, what example is being shown to us. Mm hmm. You know, and, you know, we're used to that, like as kids is, you know, you, your teacher show, showing you an example of how to be, and the kids tend to want to be like that if they admire the teacher. So if we walk up to somebody and we do have a smile on our face, it's amazing. Just walking down the street, if you're smiling, people tend to smile back at you. It's just, it's a phenomenon. Of course, I walk with a golden retriever and it helps a lot. She's my, she's my smile card. Everybody smiles at her but uh, it helps a lot. Another chapter that I just wanted to touch upon is one where you have additional tools to help you live a creative life. Yeah. This is crucial. Tell us about those tools. One of the best tools, we were talking about this a moment ago, one of the best tools that I could recommend constantly is taking walks and the power of taking walks. And I did a lot of research when I wrote this chapter. Um, Hippocrates said that's one of the best medicines is walking. And it's amazing how many times and many studies have been done on the power of walking. Uh, I did a show earlier and I was talking about this. Steve Jobs, one of the things he would do is when people would show up for a meeting, he'd say, let's go out, for, let's walk and talk. He didn't go into the boardroom where let's say it's an adversarial type of situation. Things are already really stressing and tense. Is it going to get better going into a boardroom or better going out on the street with trees and cars and dogs and birds and space? I mean, think about it. And he would carry on these long meetings walking around Cupertino where Apple was. There, there was a study done at Stanford University in 2014 about creativity. It's kind of an amazing study. It's in the book. And they found that you can increase your creativity. They did a test. They had two test groups. One, they kept sitting in front of their computers and workstations. And the other group, they said, you go out and walk. And they did some kind of creativity test when they came back. And they found that the group who went out and walked increased their creativity by 60%. Now, I can attest to this because I, I walk every day between two and four miles, sometimes longer. And my mind at the beginning can be kind of frozen. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, we're sitting in our modern world. A lot of times we're sitting, looking at computers, close distance, you know, things get kind of jammed up. We got to get off of those devices, go out, look around. And it's really important not to go out, by the way. <laughs> Don't go out doing this, this, you know, with your iPhone. That's not, that doesn't count. Because <laughs> if you just go walk with a device in front of your face, you're going to get a little bit of benefit from it. But it's not like put the device down, look out at the trees, talk to people, throw a Frisbee for your dog. You know, that's called extroversion. And that's one of the most important remedies that one can do. And I think it's an important reset every day. I really do try to walk every day. I miss, occasionally I miss a day, but it resets your mind. It resets your, your mood. 
and um, highly recommend it. So that's one of the key, that's one of my key remedies. And I use that, by the way, Barbara, and we were talking about it in coaching clients. Sometimes I find they need some personal work before we can even get going on their business. And one of the things I'll always have them do, I'll say, start off 20 minutes. Oh, I don't have 20. Okay. You got to find 20 minutes. You're going to, you're going to find 20 minutes. It's going to help you. And it's actually going to improve your life. Let's get 20 minutes. You know, okay, I'll, I'll try. (laughs) Okay. And then, and then I'll follow up with them. And, you know, I talked to them a week later, they're doing better. It's that simple. What are two tips that you could give uh, health professionals now to um, to boost their creativity so that they have work-life balance? Okay, number one, I mentioned this at the beginning, visualization. Visualize something that includes not just your work, but visualize some area, something that you've had as a passion and go back to it. Because a lot of times we drop these things, understandably so. You're raising a family, you're busy with your practice. Maybe, you know, 20 years ago you were playing piano or you were, you were writing or photographing, whatever. You drop it. This happened to me. I put it in my book, completely dropped photography because I was busy. I was busy as a consultant, I was busy raising a family and but then I went back to it and I found it was very enriching. So find that everybody's got one of those things. Everybody, I guarantee you, somewhere, somewhere back there that you were playing guitar, you were, maybe you wanted to be a comedian, you, were, you had a you know, stand-up comedy routine, whatever it was, find it and put some nurturing into it, put some time into that. That's gonna help you balance your life. And then the other thing would be using these remedies that I put in the book. So one of them is the walking. And the other is really uh, look at filling your what we call visualization. So look at things that inspire you. If you're building a practice and that's really what your attention's focused on, try to find the kind of practice, like look for examples that could inspire you. If you are, uh, you know, building a house or, or remodeling a house or, or even just improving the home that you already have, look for examples. Those inspirational uh, guidances are going to be really important. And you can find them in your library. You can find them in magazines like Architectural Digest, which I read all the time. Because a house is a form of creativity. It's a very important form of creativity, and so is your office, for that matter. Your office should be not, uh, don't let it go on automatic. I've walked into offices and I've seen, you know, stacks of old magazines that should be thrown away and things that, you know, we can be in an environment so long that we don't even see it anymore. I even have an exercise in the book of how to walk through your office as though it's brand new to you. You've never seen it before with a notepad and fix all those things, write them down, fix all those things that would interfere with a patient's experience. Fix those things. That's another little creative. I've given you more than two, but those are, those are some little tidbits. There. But all important things. 
Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, I really recommend your book. It's just chock full of useful information. How can people find it? Is it on Amazon, I assume? It is on Amazon. You can certainly find it there. You can go to my website, silverstudios.com. And I imagine we'll have a link in the show notes. Um, and I'll give you the link specifically to that book. And we we can send it right off to you. We, ha we actually have a really great ordering system that all by itself you places the order and then the next day they're shipped out. So it's really handy. What's nice about it too is I really do like being in touch with my readers and they can find me through my website and through my social media and I respond to them. And I get so much out of hearing people saying, hey, Mark, I, I've read your book three times and it's really changed my life and this is what I'm doing. And they give me this long description. I'm like, wow, that's fantastic. I that's love it. <laughs> so um, I would like to thank you at this point for being with us today. I'm sure the listeners have gotten a lot of a lot out of it and they they have gotten a lot of food for thought you know when we leave there's a lot for them to mull over from what they've heard today that's great this has been another episode of marketing tips for doctors with your host dr barbara hales and we have spoken to a creative his book is called create mark silver thank you again thank you barbara my pleasure Till next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing Tips for Doctors. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Press the subscribe button so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about the show. Join us on marketingtipsfordoctors.com for replays and more resources to help grow your practice, strengthen your brand, and dominate your field. Remember, you are one tweet from greatness. Greatness.